You're listening to the Storyteller Series from The Salvation Army. For more information or to share your questions and comments, visit SalvationArmySoundcast.org. The Book of Luke, Chapter 14 One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, He sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, 
This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he isn't able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who don't give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus touches on this like huge piece when it comes to being a Jesus follower, but even committing to be a disciple. Looking at verse 25, there were these large crowds traveling with Jesus, and he turns to them and just drops this bomb. And he says that if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, his mother, wife, children, so on and so on, so on, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Um, and then he goes on to sort of explain what that could look like. And the, the section is titled, The Cost of Being a Disciple. What, what are our thoughts about the cost of discipleship? Um, I think that... Um, Billy Graham said that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Oh, I thought that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Well, you know, depends on what Google, Google search you do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of who said it, I think it's something that's really meaningful. Um, what, what can we say about that? And that's definitely the message that Jesus lays out here, just in terms of discipleship costing you everything. Um, the things he lists here are the things we hold most dear in life, really. You know, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And then later, verse 33, uh, for all the American Christians, in the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his own possessions. Uh, so that even our possessions... Um, are something that in some way are part of the cost of being a disciple. I think um, one of the things that we may not often do a good job in the church of doing is uh, letting new converts really know or people that we are evangelizing to uh, that being a disciple uh, very much is uh, this process of surrendering everything to God and to his use and, and, giving up uh, our, um, the, the strong desire we have to cling to everything in mm. life and to really uh, just turn the dial up to, uh, in terms of our enjoyment of this life and to try to live life to the fullest uh, and wring from it as much as we can. Whereas the life of the disciple is more, how can I spend myself for others and for Christ? Happiness is great. And the life of the disciple very much is uh, filled with happiness, but it's about something deeper even than happiness. It's about contentment. It's about mm. joy. Yeah. It's about service mm -hmm. and your life having meaning and purpose uh, and a, a real impact on the lives of others. It's also about finding life with uh, God uh, forever, having everlasting life with Him and Him being the only source of your joy when you place all of your 
value in life in God and your relationship to him and, and try to get what you need from him, then everyone else is allowed to live as just people and persons in your life instead of uh, other vehicles for your own happiness or your enjoyment. I really appreciate you saying that. You know, when I, when I, I remember reading this scripture, like literally Luke 14, um, 33, like in my early days of salvation, when I was raw and didn't know anything, I was like, what is with God? It's like, he's saying, give me all your stuff. And I'm going to hold it here and I might give it back to you if I feel like it. And which I know now, like that's not his character, but being so new and not knowing him well yet, I got that sense. And so it made me want to hold on to things even more. But I believe here the purpose of that isn't so he can rip things away and dangle it over our heads. If we perform well, we, you know, we get that husband. If we perform well, we get that great job. I think it's actually because these things he's touching on family, like, my house, like my household, my identity, my family of origin, my inheritance, what my parents worked hard to pass down to their kids, like would have been in this day and time. Um, but also like my wife, like that source of joy and enjoyment or the person that cared for your household that like at the end of the day that she came home and all that was taking care of that co-laborer in this day and time, the children that were the continuance of your family line, like all these things that mm. people could just um, lean their life on. Mm which is what I feel like you were saying, mm -hmm. um, and not truly live. Mm -hmm. So I'm thankful that God intervened in my life because when, when he met me, like I had a job, I had a car, I had great friends, I had a good family, but my life was empty. Like it was missing something because life needs to be more than just the stuff around us. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that um, Jesus can provide to us, if I will say, okay, I'm not going to make my life about everyone else needing to care for my needs or working hard to get this or get that or get gain notoriety or fame or even live for my children what I can provide for them. But rather, I'm going to let it all go and I'm going to uh, allow you to add back in the things mm. that um, I need to be a steward of so that I can serve you in this life, so I can make a difference in the world around me. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this show, please share it with a friend. You can subscribe to the Storyteller series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your own favorite podcast store. For more information, visit SalvationArmySoundcast.org. God bless you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.